this morning, it is Don't At Me, Jack Prescott silences the critics for now, and of course, Will Levis is the new man. We've got Jonathan Vilma coming up. We've got all kind of good stuff on a Monday, including your emails and your voicemails. Oh, to Capesta. I saw it. It said, don't put cuss words in. Don't at me starts right now. You know, I've been doing this show for 627 years. And I forgot to put my microphone in. There's a saying in baseball. It was by Carlos Zambrano. Brizano. What a stupid I am. Actually, it was Roberto DiVincenzo after he cost himself the Masters. But let's get right in to the NFL yesterday. And by the way, you're not going to get this anywhere from any anchor, anytime. I went 15-1 and yesterday in NFL bets. That's right. I said it. I meant it. And later on, the guy that went 15-1 and with me is going to join the show coming up this week, but every single day you and I got to hear ESPN talking about Mike McCarthy should be fired. Every single day we've got to talk about Dak Prescott isn't good enough. What exactly about Dak Prescott isn't good enough? You know what I'm saying? Like everybody wants to besmirch Dak Prescott and every other week he plays great and then he plays okay and they lose. And then he throws an interception and everybody loses their damn mind because he threw an interception. Like he's the only guy that throws interceptions and then every week Mike McCarthy has to get fired because Dak Prescott threw an interception into Dak Prescott's no good. So next thing you know, nobody's any good and we can't play football. I mean, that's exactly how this thing goes. It goes this way and it continues to go this way and it will never stop going this way because that's the way this thing goes and I don't understand it. And I'll never understand it. I can't understand it. I'll never understand it. And that's just the way it is. But yesterday, Dak Prescott and the Cowboys decided they were going to give a little beatdown to the Rams. That's right, a beatdown of epic proportions. It started early and often. It was voting in Chicago. It was early and often. The Rams got beat 43-20. to 20. Now, you say to yourself, well, that's just one game. Well, it is, except let's give Dak Prescott some credit. And I don't even care about his statistic. Like, everybody and their mother loses their mind about the statistics of Dak Prescott. Throw an interception. We got to lose our mind. Don't throw an interception. We got to lose our mind. Didn't throw the ball right, didn't throw the ball well, didn't throw the ball great. Threw it okay, not great. It's insane to me how this goes with Dak Prescott, but I don't care. Look, the Dallas Cowboys have a quarterback that they can pretty much rely on, and that's about as good as it gets in the NFL. And I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to get to Joe Burrow in a second. Now, Dak Prescott is no Joe Burrow, at least when Joe Burrow is healthy. But my God, get off Dak Prescott's ass for at least a day. I mean, at least a day. Because y'all are making me tired. Y'all are making my ass sag, and it is every day. I mean, Stephen A. Stupid's got to yell at other dummies about, okay, great. Yay, Rock, go fight, win. But the fact of the matter is, the guy is good enough. It's just a matter of time. If you keep knocking on the door, good things will happen. And Dak Prescott seems like a pretty good guy, so for once, just shut up. Speaking of pretty good guys, Will Levis hung in there on draft night. Will Levis was embarrassed, Aaron Rodgers style. Will Levis, actually, his girlfriend became a clout chaser. She's sitting there looking all hot. Next thing you know, she's an Instagram model that dumps him. I don't know who dumped who, but it's nice to say. And you know what? Blame the woman. What the hell? I don't know. But anyway, Will Levis shows up, and you really don't hear a word from Will Levis. You know, I didn't hear anything from Will Levis. I didn't hear nothing from Will Levis. Not a zip, zilch, nothing. Well, guess what? 
Will Levis went out and balled out yesterday when he got a chance. Now, here's the deal. Malik Willis, the backup quarterback, got booted. Everybody was sad in Las Vegas. Everybody was sad. DeAndre Hopkins, don't boo him. Yeah, really? It's the NFL, man. You know what, Derrick Henry? You're a nice dude. I'm a big fan of Derrick Henry. But I got to tell you, I'm booing him. I'm booing him. Well, I'm not because I don't boo people. But I understand big, stupid, third-string, all-conference guy wearing his letterman's jacket to the Titans game, getting upset and booing him. Or I understand Susan Rottencrotch, who decides, well, you know what? He should be booed. I'm not happy with him, blah, blah, blah. Just shut up, all of you. Dude, shut up. Women, shut up. Boo them if you'd like. Players, shut up. It's part of football. You're making millions of dollars to push a ball across a line. Shut up. Take the booing, but more importantly, deposit the check. See, I know the internet screwed up, but I wanted to freeze for a second just to act like I was freezing. But anyway, long story short, Will Levis comes in. He throws four touchdown passes. Now, everybody's saying they knew about Will Levis the whole time, and I hope they did. They should. I mean, what the hell? I mean, look, at the end of the day, Will Levis was balling out. At the end of the day, I like Will Levis because he seems like a rotten guy. Not a rotten guy. just seems like a punk. Seems like the kind of guy that we saw on draft day. You know, the quarterback from Wisconsin that nobody really liked. I forget his name. He seemed like that guy. But guess what? Will Levis showed he is pretty good. Will Levis showed he's a pretty good teammate. You know what Will Levis showed? He got a gun. He got an arm. Four touchdowns later, guess what? The season for the Titans may have turned because Clay Travis and all the folks that are around this show are all of a sudden excited about the Titans going through an abysmal, abysmal season. Look, I don't know what to tell you. A few weeks ago, I am all in the backside of Sean Payton. I mean, I'm digging in there deep, right? He gave up 70. He did all that talking about not Buddy Hackett, Nathaniel Hackett, those of you that are old enough to understand the Buddy Hackett reference. Good for you. By the way, one of the dirtiest comics in the history of comedy, and I loved him for it. But anyway, long story short, Joe Burrow came out and completed like his first 18. And I'm sitting there watching it. And I'm watching it after watching Gardner Minshew. It came on right after, right? The Colts and Gardner Minshew are on, and Gardner Minshew can't throw the ball from me to this TV screen. Gardner Minshew sucks. I don't care about Gardner mania, Minshew mania. And then I turned on Joe Burrow, and here's what I saw. Whop, 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 whop. Joe Burrow and the Bengals went into the 49ers. And you know what the coolest thing about it was? The coolest thing about what Joe Burrow and the Bengals did was they shut up the entire crowd. And anybody that knows anything about the San Francisco, Santa Clara, Santa Monica, whatever Santa it is, knows that that crowd just needs to shut up. They need to go back to voting on stupid stuff. They need to go back and live in lifestyles that are crazy. Whatever. I don't even care. Just shut up. If you never hear from anybody in the Bay Area again, credit Joe Burrow because he shut the entire area up. Whap, whap. Jamar Chase played well. They threw him the ball, so we didn't have to listen to his whining ass. But Joe Burrow and the Fort handed the 49ers their third straight loss. It was 31-17. And, oh, by the way, America's child, Brock Purdy, he kept throwing the ball to the wrong team. He did. I mean, for whatever reason, Brock Purdy is Mr. Everyman. I get it. Last player picked in the draft. Great story. But he didn't play very well yesterday. He couldn't match series after series after series with the great Joe Burrow. He just couldn't do it. Sorry, could not do it. Won't do it. Can't do it. Didn't do it. 
Anyway, Burrow got it done. Sad news out of the NFL. I am not happy about this because he seems like a great dude. Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins, much blind by morons, but much loved by his teammates, tore his ACL. And he is done for the season. Now, how about this? So you know those chains that his teammates put on him? The NFLPA. The NFLPA ran by apparently idiots, Demo Smith or whatever the hell his name is. Uh, they didn't want him to put the chains on. Listen to this. They told him, yeah, don't do that. Co- what do they call it? Racial misappropriation. Hey, brothers wear chains. What do you want me to tell you? White dudes wear chains. You ever see Nick Castellanos? Uh, the Hispanics in baseball got chains as big as my you-know-what. You know what I'm saying. Change, change, give me more change. And the NFL peer, D. Morris Smith, cultural misappropriate. They don't wear freaking chains in your culture. Jeez. I mean, it's so ridiculous. When I saw that, all I could do is laugh. And I'm glad that we can now laugh because a couple years ago, I would have had, well, you know, Dockage is racist because he supports Kirk Cousins wearing chains. Chains or chains or more chains. I don't understand the chains. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, shut up, Demo Smith. You Actually, he's not an idiot. I was going to say idiot. Sat next to him on the flight. Kind of liked the guy. He's about that tall. Got a little bit of that Napoleon thing. You know, he's a little angry guy sometimes, but he was really nice when I sat next to him. He was cool. He's all right. I mean, he was an important guy, right? I mean, you talk to him. He's really important. I love talking to really important guys because they generally suck. He didn't suck. I kind of liked him. But, hey, stick your, your cultural misappropriation up your backside. Wear your chains. Live your life. You don't want to be culturally misappropriated, then do yourself a favor. Don't wear a million chains. Imitation is the greatest form of flattery. So shut the living hell up. All right, top story number two, college football. Now, I'm going to tell you, I went 15-1 and one yesterday. I went about 9-2 and two on Friday. I'm on a roll, and you're going to meet the guy that's put me on a roll, Phil Sack, coming up here in, in uh, a couple days. I'm going to give him a couple days. He's probably counting his money. Anyway, Kansas. Kansas was god-awful. And they hired a smart guy named Leipold from Cal- or excuse me, from Buffalo. Yeah, from Buffalo. He's come out to Kansas, and he took over the Les Miles disaster of 0-9, 0-10, whatever it was during COVID. I don't even know, 0-8, something like that. And he has turned it into a monster. Oklahoma came in. And Oklahoma came in with all the hype. Oklahoma had the quarterback, Gabriel, who is, when I watched game day, all they did was talk about Gabriel. Gabriel this, Gabriel that, Gabriel there. Well, my boy Phil Sack got eight points and Kansas, so I did as well. So I followed this game, and I got to tell you, man, (coughs) Kansas is tough. Kansas is athletic. Oklahoma looked like Oklahoma of last year. Remember when they struggled all the time and they couldn't pull a rabbit out of their hat late? Here's the deal in coaching. When you win late and you consistently win late, guess what? Eventually you're going to lose late. If you keep paying that fine line of win and, oh, look at our quarterback. He keeps bringing us back on drives. Guess what? Eventually, you're going to lose. It's just the way it is. Water finds its level, is my saying. Guy hits five threes in a row, he's missing the next one. Guy hits two threes in a row, 99.99999%, he's going to miss the next one if you just guard him a little bit. I'm just saying. Very rarely do people hit three threes in a row in a basketball game. Very rarely do teams continue to win when the margin of victory is like this, when we got to get a stop on the last drive or we got to get a score on the last drive. And you know what? 
Kansas was having none of it, man. Kansas is tough, Kansas is good, and Kansas is fun. Has there ever been a better trade? Louisville fans, and I know there's one of you out there that's a football fan. Has there ever been a better deal for a school than the guy named Satterfield, who was a coach at Louisville, getting the Sam and Henry out of there and going to Cincinnati, and Louisville getting to bring in their favorite son, Purdue's coach Jeff Brown? Has there ever been a greater swap in coaching? You're going to say yes, and I'll probably agree with you. There probably is. But I got to tell you, all things considered, I want you to think about this. The program at Louisville with Satterfield was flat. It was going nowhere. There was nothing there. Somehow Cincinnati bit and took the guy off Louisville's hands, which opened up the big boosters at Louisville to say money, 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 money. Brahmy. They talked Jeff Brahm. Didn't have to talk much because he realized first couple years at Purdue, you're all right. By about year four or five, you're like, oh, man. Check the doors. Any of them open? We're going to go Jamal Bowman, pull the fire alarm, and get the hell out of here. That's what we're going to do. But anyway, I digress. So Brown was looking for the exit. Louisville threw him a ton of money. And guess what? Louisville got to get their favorite son home. Well, guess what also? Louisville is rolling. Louisville beat the living hell out of Duke. A few weeks ago, Duke was all the rage. A few weeks ago, Duke was rolling. Look, Jeff Brown is considered an offensive coach, and he is. It's a good consideration. But they blanked Louisville, or Duke. They shut him out. 23 to nada. 23 zip is what Louisville did, and there are sold-out crowds in Louisville. Louisville has become a football school. The basketball program under Kenny Payne probably will get better, I would assume. Kenny's a good dude, probably a good coach. Who knows? But they weren't very good last year, and they feels like Louisville, since 2013 basketball, has been mired in an absolute abyss of allegations, bad publicity, bad decisions, stupid women in restaurants, and losses last year. That's what it feels like with Louisville. Football, on the other hand, is on the rise. Football, on the other hand, is sold out. Football, on the other hand, has cachet. And don't we all want cachet? Yes, we do. USC sucks, and you can have, I'll tell you right now, you can take Caleb Williams and you can have him. I'm tired of his commercials. I'm tired of his attitude. Yeah, he's not the problem with USC. I understand that. I do. I get it. The problem with USC is they don't play D. It's like calling me Ann Ackage. They ain't no D there, baby. You got to play a little bit of D, and they survived against Cal. We're reaching the point of the season, ladies and gentlemen, where USC and Caleb Williams are, well, unless they do something sexy here in the last uh, three, four, five weeks, which they have the opportunity to do, of course, uh, I'm getting tired of them. In fact, I'm not so sure, Nick or Nick too, that we shouldn't ban Mondays with USC unless, of course, something sexy happens. And I'll tell you why. I look at Caleb Williams' eyes and I see soft. I do. I'm sorry. Dumb of me to call a football player soft, particularly a college football player, but the dude's like 24. But here's the deal. Caleb Williams talks poorly. Uh, I don't like it. He doesn't talk like a man. He doesn't look like a tough guy in all those Heisman commercials. And I'm not talking about physically how he looks. I'm a coach. I look in the eyes. I look in the face. Seems soft as hell. Seems like a whiner. Seems like an entitled dude. Buyer beware first pick in the NFL draft. Not saying don't do it. Just beware. 
Get yourself a little pen and paper. Go observe him when he's not watching you. I would go on campus. I would see what the guys like around town. That's what I would do. Because you tell a lot about people by how they tip people. You tell a lot about people by how they treat the janitorial staff. You tell a lot about people how they handle fellow classmates or the barista or whomever. I got to find out about that guy because he is a talented dude, but there's something about him that ain't right with me. There's something about him that I'm not digging. And I don't know what it is other than the way he talks and kind of his, I think there's a, there's something there. I don't know what it is, but I do know what it is. It's something that I would not draft first, but I'm probably wrong because look, anytime you are Caleb Williams and you throw a pass in the NFL and it's completed, you're going to be considered the greatest football player ever. Until about five years in, and people realize what I've been telling you for five years. Arizona over Oregon State. Now, this is only interesting because remember the guy, DJ Ungale? He was the, he was the rage. He was the diet, pe- pepper, doc, diet Dr. Pepper guy that we were all supposed to talk about last year. Then he stunk, and he got benched, and Clemson hasn't been any good. Oregon State has been good, but Arizona's a story in the desert. They've won three in a row, and they've won pretty well. They beat Oregon State, which is actually a big win. Oregon State, for those of you that don't know, Oregon State was rated 26th in the country. All right. I saved the last for the best. Let me ask you a question. At what point, I know know we're not allowed to. I know it's racist to question Deion Sanders. I know it's racist to all the guys in the media, the Mike Freemans of the world in the media, to not jump up and down, stand on your head and crap snowballs with Deion Sanders. Look, I was all in on Deion Sanders early. Yeah, I thought it was great. But now he's starting to make my ass sag. And I'm 61 years old. My ass is all the way down to the back of my knees anyway. But it's starting to drop to my Achilles. That's right. He's making my ass sag. Every time they lose, it's someone else's fault. Hey, Dion, how about you coach your freaking team? So they lose. His kid, Shadur, who is all the rage, my, my, my money, my money, I got to watch. Look at me. Yeah, well, you got your ass beat for the fourth straight time. Now, Shadur Sanders is running for his life. Seven sacks. The offensive line, apparently, according to Deion Sanders, stinks. So what's Deion Sanders say? Hey, look, I'm going to get a new offensive line. And everybody applauds Deion Sanders. Phil Narduzzi criticized his own team. He's a coach at Penn, or whatever Narduzzi's name is. I don't even care. He's Narduzzi. I saw him interviewed once. I didn't like him. He said, hey, look, we lost some good players. Pat Narduzzi, thank you. And you know what? He did not. He said, we lost some good players last year, and apparently – We didn't replace him. And now all his players are whining, whining, whining on Twitter. Narduzzi's players are whining. Well, Narduzzi's players suck. That's why they suck. Players want the damn, uh, uh, players want all the accolades and all the money when they're good, but sure don't want to be told they suck when they suck. Well, sometimes players suck. And apparently the only guy that's able to tell anybody that his players suck is Deion Sanders. So Sanders went out and said, yeah, the fix is go get better linemen. Good for him. Go do it. <clears throat> Yay, Ra. He's not wrong. Hey, man, it, it's always Bobby Knight's thing. Bobby Knight allegedly told Isaiah Thomas that we got a number 11 coming in next year, Dockage, who's better than you. 
That's what John Feinstein always lied about. It didn't really happen. But Feinstein was full of crap in that book, Season on the Brink, and he continues to be uh, full of crap speaking about that. So whatever. But anyway, that's what coaches have always done. Look, if you don't play, I'm going to get someone to replace you. Hey, if the Pittsburgh players don't like what Narduzzi said, I got two words for you. Play better. You know what? If the linemen of Colorado don't like what Deion Sanders said, I got two words for you. Play better. Why is Deion Sanders the only guy allowed to criticize his players? You know why. Because every media dude, the African-Americans in the media, they want to hang with Sanders. They want to be part of the scene. The white dudes in the media are scared to death of being called racist. Oh, I used to be scared of being called racist. Now it's like, what? Is this a day ending in why? Because I joined OutKick? Nah, don't worry about it. Just tell the truth. And the truth of the matter is Sanders ain't wrong. And he ain't wrong for criticizing his players. And Narduzzi ain't wrong. And he ain't wrong for criticizing his players. And the soft-ass little kids at Pittsburgh are showing exactly why they get their ass beat week after week after week. Because they got no cojones. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the walls be a-closing in. The walls be a-closing in on gentleman Jim Harbaugh. Harbaugh and the Wolverines, well, it just keeps coming. A Division three former coach has a non-anonymously spoke to ESPN saying that a Michigan staffer paid him as part of a scheme to help the team cheat. He was paid to go film the sideline, and Harbaugh would still have to face the consequences if he decided to jump to the NFL. So a Division three coach says, hey, look, here's the deal. Don't use my name. Well, his name's going to come out because you know what? The NCAA going to come and call it, and that's the show cause, which means you can't coach. The FBI may come and call it because there's some gambling implications here that I'm really anxious to see where it goes to. It's going to be a tad fascinating. So this coach says he was paid by a staffer. I'm assuming that staffer was that Stallions guy, the former Marine. Marines wouldn't do that. That guy ain't really a Marine. He may have been a Marine in a previous lifetime, but he's a sniveling little jock-sniffing hanger-on that weaseled his way onto a staff and did a good job at what he was, but he's left the paper trail big as my face. Anyway, long story short, Harbaugh, according to sources, not my sources, but sources, say that the NFL, now listen to this, the NFL isn't going to provide him with a golden parachute should he get fired from Michigan. Now, that's interesting because I think it's crap. That's why I said not my sources. I think it's complete and total crap. Let me explain this to you. If the NFL thought that Charles Manson could win them games and he was out of jail, they would hire Charlie Manson. Now, I'm just telling you, that's what they would do, and that's the way business is done. We act like the NFL is like this sanctuary of saints. The NFL has more stupid stuff going on Friday night at 10 o'clock at night than any league in America not named the NBA All-Star Game. You want syphilis? Come to Indianapolis for the NBA All-Star Game. You'll get yourself to clap nice. But anyway, here's the deal. The NFL is not going to provide a bailout to Jim Harbaugh, sources said. Yeah, let me tell you something. Let me tell you what they're doing in Chicago right now. They're already getting ready to fire Eberflus 
and make Harbaugh an offer. They're dying for Harbaugh to come to Chicago. In fact, we should get Waddle on later on this week. He'll tell you everybody in Chicago is begging Harbaugh to come. And for once, I would guess, after years and years and years of stupid, the McCaskies might actually listen to reasonable people and bring him there. But I don't know if Harbaugh's going anywhere until last night. Ooh, the plot did thicken. According to sources, again, not mine, but sources, Michigan, listen to this, Michigan, no matter what Dave Portnoy and Michigan fans say, and by the way, I love Dave, and I love what Dave is doing. If you follow him, he's defending the living hell out of hardball. He's defending the living hell out of Michigan, and I like it. I personally, I'm 40-some years removed from my college. I don't defend him. What happens, happens. Indiana basketball, go get him. Indiana basketball, good, great. I like them when they're good. I got no interest when they're not. But I'm old, and I'm on to other things. However, so Michigan, according to sources, pulled their contract offer from Harbaugh. Now, I want you to think about that. You got a contract. You got a guy that's got the best team in the country, at least right now. You got a new contract because remember back a few years ago when he was Urban Meyer was beating his ass? Do you remember this? Well, guess what? They took money from Harbaugh, but they allowed him to stay as the coach. So now Michigan is going to make it up to Harbaugh. Now Michigan has had on the table, apparently, a beautiful new contract that was going to make him the highest paid coach in the Big Ten, which makes him among the highest paid coaches in the country, which gets him ahead of Mel Tugger, the great Mel Tugger, Tugger, T-U-G-G-E-R. Remember Mel Tugger? He of laying in the bed with a phone in his ear and doing nasty things to himself. Weird. Anyway, here's the deal. Michigan, the Board of Regents, who apparently met the other day, have said, wait a second here. Hold the phone. We're rescinding the offer. Is it true? Who the hell knows? Is it not true? Who the hell knows? I don't know. But what I do know is this. It ain't good. It ain't good even if it's a little true. It ain't good even if it's a consideration. It ain't good even if somebody somewhere somehow has it in the back of their mind and is even thinking about it. It ain't good. Now, I'm just telling you, it ain't. Look, this should be a time when Michigan is rising to number one in the country They're probably going to beat Ohio State for the third straight time, or at least everybody that I know that I respect, which is like two guys, says, man, Michigan's got more talent for the first time in a long time, and they certainly have the better quarterback, and they'll probably get the number one seed in the college football playoff. This should be high times in Michigan. You're Michigan men. You hired a Michigan man. High times, baby. Let's rock. Let's roll. But guess what? A lot of uncertainty. FBI's in there investing cyber crimes by an assistant. Oof, that ain't good. Uh, NCAA is fast-tracking an investigation. Why? Because other coaches are pissed off about it, have been pissed off about it, and everybody's doing what they should do, which is keeping score. Is this Michigan's league? Is this only Michigan and Ohio State we care about? Or are we all involved in the Big 20, a.k.a. the Big 10? I don't know, but I do know this, and I know this for a fact. Coaches are keeping score. They're watching. They're seeing. They're trying to find out, yeah, you're going to let this crap go on? Hmm. Interesting stuff in the Big Ten. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if we have the video. I think we've got some technical problems here, but I got to tell you. I got to tell you. Gavin Newsom's an idiot. Now, I don't know if you saw the video, but Gavin Newsom took out a little kid, little Chinese kid, little Asian kid. I don't know if he's Chinese. I don't know. But anyway, so Gavin Newsom did what a lot of people do. But when you're an experienced basketball player, you never do this. You never do what Newsom did. Gavin Newsom started handling the ball globetrotter style. And you know what? Good for Gavin Newsom. You could tell he played a little basketball. But what happens when you're trying to dribble through little kids is this. What happens is you get, they get under you. They're so little and your hand, and they don't know to move. They don't react to a fake. So Gavin Newsom is handling the rock. Gavin Newsom is dealing. He's he's trying to give them the business. And next thing you know, the worst possible thing could happen. Gavin Newsom went all Joe Biden. He fell on his ass. Actually, more fell on his face. A little kid, little kid, goes tumbling down. He bulldozes a little kid. He falls on his face. Now, you got to know, people, Particularly when you are on camera and a guy like Gavin Newsom is what? Always on camera. Always. Every time. Never not on camera. Hell, my brother told me that I should live my life like I'm always on camera when I'm out in public. And he ain't wrong. He ain't. But I got to tell you, Newsom got loose. Don't get loose. Don't get loose in public. There's no reason to get loose in public. He got loose. He got to handling. He got to shaking. He got to baking. He got to shucking. He got to jiving. Yeah, he was. He was giving these little kids the business. And the little kid didn't move. And it was an absolute charge. People say block charge. I say crap. It was a charge. And the worst possible thing could happen. Now, you got to understand, this won't be made fun of by the left media. You got to understand they're in pocket with any candidate that could win from the liberal side. But this stays with Newsom forever. And that ain't what you want. We all got stuff that stays with us, right? Y'all got memories, good and bad. We all got video of us from back in the day, or maybe, I don't know, maybe you know. But anyway, long story short, this is exactly 1,010% what Gavin Newsom did not need. Falling over a little Asian kid trying to be the cool guy. Here's the other thing. Politicians, stay in your lane. You ain't the cool guy ever. You were never the cool guy, unless your name was Reagan. And I'll give George W. Bush the cool guy. Tell you why. I saw a replay of George W. Bush firing a strike in Yankee Stadium, which basically told the country, we're back after 9-11. That's right, 2001, George W. Bush comes out there, fires himself a strike from the mound. I saw the replay yesterday. It was glorious. It was fantastic. And you know what? I get chills talking about it. That's a politician with some sack. I don't care what you think of George W. Bush. I couldn't stand to listen to George W. Bush talk. Everybody that played basketball with Obama told me, number one, he couldn't play, and number two, he was a whiner. Every time he missed, it was a foul. 
He was always talking because he knew he had secret, and you weren't allowed to touch him. Everybody told me that was the biggest fraud going, Obama's a basketball player. Are you kidding me? He should have stuck to bowling because lefties can bowl. Lefties can do a few things. Lefties can swing a baseball bat and it looks beautiful. Lefties put that hook in their Earl Anthony-style bowling. And generally, lefty jump shots, i.e. Dick the Skull Barnett, onto my guy Chris Mullen, glorious. Absolutely glorious the way they look, except for Obama. Look, you're the president. You're a political candidate. You got to make damn sure you stay in your lane. Hell, for Joe Biden, what's that lane? That that. Lane is the short bus with the short stairs, or the short plane, I guess, with the short stairs, not the bus, because he's getting on a plane. That's the short stairs. You got to know who you are. You can't keep falling up the stairs. You can't do it. Won't do it. Doesn't need to happen. It's no good for anybody, I promise you. But anyway, long story short, ladies and gentlemen, that's the road that we're on. I don't know what the hell's going on with the internet, but I'm just going to keep talking. I woke up this morning, like Ratner said, in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I woke up this morning. I don't know what the hell happened. I don't. I honestly don't know what in the hell happened. Hey, I don't know if you saw this, but I am all in on this. Colorado State football fans got themselves a penalty. Why did Colorado State football fans get themselves a penalty? Well, they got themselves a penalty, ladies and gentlemen, because they threw snowballs onto the field. That's right. They threw snowballs onto the field, and you know what? The ref said, hey, you got to quit throwing footballs or snowballs onto the field. It was at Air Force. There was a lot of snow in Denver. Man, it's supposed to snow here. Oh, it's a My eyes are burning. But Colorado State fans said, hey, look, we got the warning, but we don't believe the warning. So they were throwing snowballs on the field, which is really dangerous, particularly because when you pack a snowball to get it from the stands to the field, that means the snowball is pretty well packed. And anyone that's been hit in the head by a snowball that's been packed pretty good, it kind of hurts. It does. And you hope there's no ice. But think about it. You can't throw a loose snowball onto the field or else it just comes apart halfway home. It's a long story short, guess what? They get a 15-yard penalty. They did. And away we go. Huh. All right. Before we come back, I got a couple of things. Number one, congratulations to our guy, Clay Travis. Clay Travis did something that, you know what? I understand why women are upset. I understand why the WNBA girls are mad. But he did something that embraces the WNBA, and they don't even know it. What did Clay do? Clay challenged the WNBA champs, Las Vegas Aces, to a million-dollar challenge. I'm going to say this again, a million, $1 million challenge. If they can beat a state championship-level high school team. So... Also, congratulations to Clay Travis because he had a great party on Saturday night. Lee and I drove in. She was Winston Wolf. I was John Travolta from Pulp Fiction. And you know what? I drank Manhattan. No, not Manhattan's. Old Fashions. And it was a fun time. It was a really fun time. So let's go to the first one first. So Clay Travis has not heard back from anybody in the WNBA. And I got to tell you, I don't blame him. See, 
I understand my son and I were talking about this last night. I say one of the things in sports is that debate rules. We debate who's the GOAT. We debate who's the best. We debate left-handed slugger. We debate Hall of Fame players. This guy's in the Hall of Fame. That guy's not in the Hall of Fame. We debate is Dame Lillard worried about, uh, worthy of his contract. By the way, he went minus 29 the other day with Milwaukee. But, hey, it's an 82-game schedule. You'll have that. We debate the best, the worst, the greatest, the all-timer, the GOAT, everything. So at least now, women's basketball, the WNBA, gets to jump into the debate. Okay. On the other side, I can see where women's basketball thinks they're being demeaned. They think they're being demeaned because, wait a second, we're professionals. We're really good. We're pros here. We don't need to play against high school kids. We'd whip high school kids. Ah, er. If you took one of the really good high schools, those cheating, like we're going to bring in kids from all over the country, high schools, uh, prep schools, they'd beat them by 50. If you just bring in the state of Indiana champs, they'd beat them by 30. Vegas would make whatever line 20, 20 plus. They wouldn't want to embarrass anybody, but it's never going to happen. Why? Because the WNBA doesn't want to be put in that situation. But the WNBA doesn't understand that this is Billie Jean King, Bobby Riggs part two. It would be the highest growth, not highest grossing, highest watched, most watched WNBA game in the history of the WNBA. It just would by far. Clay knows that. Clay said that. We all know that. We've all said that. Nobody gives a rat's ass about the Liberty or whoever it is versus the Aces. But you put a million dollars on the line with some high school kids. Now you're in business. Of course, the women of the WNBA say, oh, you're an ass. Oh, you're a jerk. Just donate the money. No one's donating the money to the WNBA. What are you, crazy? Why would you donate a million dollars to the WNBA? You got all the money in the world. The NBA's paying for you. So just stop it. What are you talking about? Donate the money to the WNBA. Make your own money. Period. That's it. Make your own damn money. I'm just saying. Boom. Long story short. I'm just telling you, whether you want to believe it or not, the WNBA against a high school team would be glorious. By the way, of all of the costumes in the history of costumes at Clay's house, who do I run into? Riley Gaines and her husband. This is the greatest costume ever. Riley Gaines went as a Riley Gaines. In fact, I told her husband, I go, why do you have to dress up like Leah Thomas and Riley gets to dress up like Sandy from Greece? You know what I'm saying? And he also wore a robe. You'll see the, you'll see the picture here. He wore the robe because in his outfit, his packy, he told me, was just out there. Good for him. Good for Riley. Good for everybody. This was the best costume ever. That's my lovely wife on the left, Winston Wolf. You see Riley and you see your husband. What great people. Ran into Kelly in Vegas out there. Ariel Epstein out there. Where the hell were you, Jonathan and uh, uh, Chad? Had a great time. Stephanie was out there. All of them. What a fan. You know, salute to Clay Travis. Nice people. Great party. Fantastic drinks. Wonderful food. Chick-fil-A. You kidding me? It was awesome. And Riley Gaines and her husband, you win. Costume of the year. 
When Riley Gaines goes as Riley Gaines and her husband goes as Leah Thomas, that, ladies and gentlemen, is good stuff. Hey, we got a lot to get to today. Jonathan Vilma is going to join us, NFL analyst, former great player. I'm looking forward to talking to him. And then Aaron Murray, who you hear on Sirius XM Radio, analyst for ESPN, former quarterback at Georgia. We're going to talk about Ryan Day. Is his job in jeopardy? Clemson, what are we doing? We're playing irrelevant games. And, of course, the Georgia Bulldogs. Georgia. Stay right here. Where are you going? Tell a friend. We'll be right back. Looking for the hottest sportsbook offers? At OutKick, find exclusive promotions, expert picks, and the latest odds. Get in the game at OutKick.com slash bet. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Hey, welcome back. Hope everybody had a fantastic weekend. We are rocking. We are rolling here. Uh, quick Colts note. Colts stink. Quick, Quicker Colts note. You can't win with a backup quarterback named Gardner Minshew. Yeah, I understand. Everybody's jumping up and down, standing on their head, and crapping snowballs about Gardner Minshew and Minshew mania. But I watched that yesterday. Look, you got to have a quarterback that can play. And it's unfortunate what happened to Anthony Richardson, but the fact of the matter is, I don't know, man. You got to have somebody that can really play. And when you watch good quarterbacks, Gardner Minshew ain't it. Now, our little media guys all around the state apparently are coming to the realization that this regime with the Colts is built on a house of sand. It is built on sand, not rock. And they are more interested in the world of the Colts. In what, you ask? I'll tell you what, they're more interested in kneeling, social media protests, relationships, not angering anybody than they are winning. And I've said it for 10 years. I've said it ever since they let Ryan Grigson go, who is the only tough presence in that building. You got to have tough people in your building. You got, look, when I play golf with my buddy Cam Safali, he always does, he's the guy. We want extra bets. Some, there's an argument. He solves rules. He solves it. You want to know whether to give a guy a putt, not give a guy a putt? He's the bad cop. Everybody needs one of those. I'm the go-along-to-get-along kind of guy. You need a bad guy. I don't care what business it is. You need somebody that's going to straighten people out. My guy Aaron and I, we've dropped F-bombs on each other once in a while like it's our job. Well, guess what? It is our job. If you want to succeed and you want to be great, it can't be all seashells and balloons, as Al McGuire says. You need somebody tough in there. Colts, our Colts, I know a lot of you are Indianapolis people, they lost that. They lost that when they lost Ryan Grigson. Don't at me about it or I'm going to punch you in the head. It's that simple. All right. Speaking of this, you know, earlier I talked about Pat Narduzzi. Earlier I talked about the coach of Pittsburgh. Now, I don't know Pat Narduzzi. I've heard from Pat Narduzzi. Pat Narduzzi kind of gives me gas. He kind of does. He's that old football coach that just kind of makes you want to lift the cheek and pinch a loaf. You know what I'm saying? Eh. But Pat Narduzzi wasn't wrong. Pat Narduzzi said when you, when you lose like you lost today – and how we did last week, why is it? I'll go back. You lose a lot of good players a year ago, and you got to replace them, 
and obviously we have it. So, fast forward. What happens? Now, all his little players are whining. Now, all his little players are crying because the mean coach, the coach did not kiss our ass. How could he not kiss our ass? You know what should happen? You got shut out. You got your brains beat out by Notre Dame. You know what? You know what should happen? I'll tell you what should happen. He should go around with the collection plate. Give me your NIL money. Give me your NIL money. Give me your NIL money. I want your NIL money. Look, you guys suck. If I was a business and I was paying NIL money to some of these players, I'd be like, hey, let's go. Uh, Contract over. Done. Zip. Zero. Dot. Boom. 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 So some guy named Cody Nagel says, well, that's one way to lose a locker room. Hey, why is it okay for Deion Sanders to do it, Cody Nagel, and not for Pat Narduzzi? One of his soft-ass players, uh, Jason Collier, put little faces. You want to know why they're losing? Because they put little faces. Here's a guy, Ryland Grundy. He quote tweeted Narduzzi saying, crazy world. Well, you lost 57 to 6. Oh, Derek Davis. Wow, that's what's up. That is what's up. That's exactly what's up. And, of course, one of God's children. No, ain't no way I'm reading this right. Uh, Yeah, it is. Yeah, it absolutely is. You're reading why guys and NIL and the modern way of doing things suck. Daniel Carter says, wow. Uh, Number 20, Javon McIntyre says, hmm. Oh, my God, can you imagine the mommies and daddies? Uh, Damn, that's flaw. Sideshow bub. Damn, K-U-H-H, that's flaw. Really? I don't know. I don't know, sweet cheeks. Uh, Montaveras is going to go, well, you know, Montaveras, you guys suck. I mean, let's be honest. They suck. Nothing wrong about, nothing wrong with, hey, can somebody pin it to my, can somebody pin our tweet to my uh, account? Because I want to get it going. I mean, I'm just saying. They suck. And when you suck, sometimes somebody is going to call out the suck. And if 18 to 22-year-olds are able to get paid, then they ought to be able to take a little criticism from their coach. Pittsburgh players are the softest effing guys in America. They're embarrassing, and basically they suck. That's how I look at it. You can look at it differently. And now I'm fired up about this. Pittsburgh players, you suck, period. Pittsburgh football players, you suck. You suck, you get beat bad, and now you're whining because, well, our our coach was mean to us. Well, quit sucking. Like, people get mad at me. You went three and four with Indiana. Yeah, well, I didn't miss... I didn't miss 41 threes like Eric Gordon did. Actually, 44 threes. I don't know about you, but I didn't do that. Wasn't me. Hell, I mean, all these guys get all the damn accolades when they win. I, you know what? You guys suck. It's pretty simple. 
of their 18 to 23-year-olds. You know what? Your players are soft. Your coaches, I like your coach. I don't even like your coach. Your players are soft, and uh, you suck. How about that? I'm actually tweeting this out right now. Your players are soft and whiny and suck. Stop the suck. Give your money back. Give your NIL money back. Seriously. I mean, if you're going to suck that bad, you should be forced to give your money back because you, say it with me, suck. (laughs) They do. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, This I like. This is a coach that understands it. So my guy Lance Leopold, which is a great name, come to Indiana, coach in the Big Ten. Come and let your career die here, Lance. But come on in the Big Ten. Come on, baby. Come on, baby. Anyway, so Lance Leopold has the quote of the year after a huge win over number six Oklahoma. Here it is. I got caught in a whole bunch of students. I hope nobody gives me a breathalyzer just off the fumes out there. That's what I'm talking about. You know I have a story. So we were rolling at Bowling Green. Absolutely rolling. Students were picnicking. We had a kegs and eggs crew that would drink beers, make eggs, and we had it rolling. I mean rolling. I would drive down to my work, and people are tailgating here. Joint was packed. And we had an idiot, a complete stone idiot. I'm not going to say his name because he's a nice guy who was an assistant athletic director. He was so stupid that a couple of, uh, it's windy in Bowling Green, it's cold. He didn't let a bunch of students in. I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, well, they seem drunk. I go, what do you mean they seem drunk? Good, I want drunk. Well, we can't have that. I go, you're an idiot. What made them seem drunk? Well, their faces were red and their eyes were water. I go, because they're walking in the wind, you dumbass. Sometimes at a school like Bowling Green, you got to overcome the suck and the stupid. I want drunk students at my games, period. And good. Good for Lance Leopold. Good. I tell you who else. Dave Doreen. Dave Doreen is pretty much an overpaid, nondescript football coach that was pretty good at Northern Illinois. Now he's been at North Carolina State for a long time, and they win eight games a year. All right. So he's good enough. He keeps his job. Well, there is an idiot in the media named Steve Smith Sr. Steve Smith Sr. is one of these guys that, you know, has a big mouth. He just does. And he thinks he's a badass. He's just an idiot. He's he's among the cesspool of people in media today, analysts. So Steve Smith said, basically, football season is over at North Carolina State. They're just waiting for basketball. Well, that's an assumption that it's a basketball school. And there is nothing that makes football coaches more angry than thinking that their school is a basketball school. North Carolina State might be the epitome of mediocrity in both. I mean, if you're looking for mediocre, look at the basketball and the football programs at North Carolina State. There is no more mediocre outfit than those two. But you're going to piss a guy off, right? You're going to make a guy mad. So, all right. So Dave Doreen's North Carolina State team beats Clemson. Clemson is on the crap. 7-7, last 14. All right. So he says after, tell Steve Smith in the studio, this ain't a basketball school. He can kiss my ass. I like it. I like it a lot. See, here's the deal. First, you shouldn't let an idiot 
like Steve Smith bother you. But as a coach, you do. I mean, it's just the way the world works. As a coach, sometimes what they say in a pregame show, and everybody's listening, everybody's watching, and if you're not, you got a little minion that's watching for you. And I'm sure that Dave Doreen maybe said it to his players before the game, this is how we're considered, that kind of stuff. And that goes away after the first hit to the mouth, but that's all right. That's what you do as a coach. So I applaud Doreen, and I applaud Narduzzi, and I applaud Deion Sanders. Hey, look. These little punks, they're not punks. These little co- these little fellas, 18 to 23-year-old, are making a crap ton of money. They're, I, all I, last I heard, NIL's through the roof at all these places for a bunch of guys that couldn't sell their name, image, and likeness to sell this couch right here that's 10 years old. But because the collectives are all getting paid. And if you can't stand the heat, stay out of the bank. Don't cash the checks. Drives me nuts. These little shavers get all mad. You're mean to me. Hey, let me tell you something. Only guy who's got cover in this is Deion Sanders. That's it. Nobody else has cover. Deion, as I said it earlier, the black guys want to hang with him. The white dudes are afraid to be called racist by criticizing him. It's easy. I'm surprised no one's called Dave Doreen a racist for telling an African-American man to kiss his ass. Well, he did right. And he should do it again. He should do it again today. He should do it again tomorrow, and he should do it again the next day. And so should Dave Doreen. Dave Doreen should not back down. Should not back down even a little bit. Hey, uh, people are starting. Isn't it amazing? Now, Gritty and Sean and Van Pasterman, you guys listen to my show for years. And I've told you this when the Colts were here with Hard Knocks. Hard Knocks is crap. Hard Knocks in-season is complete crap. I mean, it just is. It's awful. We learned that, one, as I told you, Darius Shaq, I always call him Darius Leonard's a fraud. Two, Carson Wentz wears teammates out. I know those are two of the things that we learned. And Chris Ballard was a fraud by having a meeting with the running back coach about how great, blah, 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 blah. It's all crap. So the Dolphins are going to be the, sec- the subject of Hard Knocks in-season coming up here. Here is what Xavier Howard said. Hard Knocks is BS, especially during the season. No, I'm serious. I'm not a fan. He ain't wrong. Braxton Berrio says the thing is we want to make it as organic as possible. We want to make our building as normal as possible. So obviously there's a fine line. We're not here for a TV show. We're here to win games. Duh. I mean, are you starting to understand it? Are you starting to get it? Are you starting to go, huh? Dockage was right to hold. We're not here for cap space. We're not here for, quote, B-A grades in drafts. We're here to win games. We're not here to kneel on the sideline, Frank Reich, and cry on TV, Chris Ballard. White people must do better. Why? Because a cop shot a guy that was doing all kind of crazy stuff? Hey, It was brutal, I get it, and it should have been protested, but I don't need to hear from Chris Ballard, the whitest of all white men, telling me anything. Long story short, you're there to win games. Period. Period. I want to hear from you, Chris Ballard, about great drafts. I want to hear from you, blogger boy, about anything. Only thing I want to hear from you all from is winning games. Period. That's what the NFL is about, and at least... The Dolphins understand 
this. Many teams don't understand this. Many teams don't. I'm sorry. They don't. But look, you can do all that other stuff. Hey, you can protest. You can celebrate. You can do whatever. I don't care. But you got to win games in the NFL. You do. And the Miami Dolphins understand this. Hey, look, we're not here for a TV show. We're here to win freaking games. Period. That's it. That's it. Don't want to hear anything more about it. Good for them. I was talking to Jack Doyle, the tight end, uh, who it was uh, the ultimate team guy with the Colts. I'm like, hey, man, I didn't see you around Hard Knocks very much when the Colts were involved. He goes, yeah, well, there was no chance. He goes, uh, I'll let Darius and those guys, I think he said idiots, but maybe he didn't. I'll let Darius and those guys do that. Carson Wentz and those idiots. I'll let those guys do that. But I'm not involving myself, and he certainly was not wrong. Boom! All right, when we come back, I got Jonathan Vilma ready to join me. Let's talk some NFL with Jonathan Vilma. Also, Aaron Murray. We're going to talk to Aaron Murray. You see him, you know him, you love him on ESPN. You hear him on Sirius XM Radio. We got a monster today. Go tell your friends. We'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. All right, Jonathan Vilma, and oh man, I, I remember when they won the Super Bowl. Hank Basket, catch a damn onside kick for God's sake. Anyway, I'm here in Indianapolis, uh, Jonathan, so you know that's how I look at it. Hey, hey, you did the Minnesota Vikings Green Bay game, so now I wake up, and obviously Cousins is out for the year, and here it goes. I'm hearing Tom Brady's name for Minnesota Tom Brady, this, Tom Brady, that. What do you think? Is this even possible, Tom Brady, to the Vikings? Uh, Dan, anything's possible. I'll start with that. But the notion of Tom Brady coming out of retirement and wanting to now go play for the Vikings, I I don't see it. What's the uh, incentive advantage for Tom Brady? I mean, he clearly looks like a player who is checked out, retired, enjoying life. Uh, getting ready for his debut on Fox. So, I mean, anything's possible, but I just don't see it at all. I I feel like someone in a dark room put this out there, knew that Tom Brady's name would go viral if he just put it out there, and then now everyone's taking it and run with it. Right. It's almost like... It, it, it's almost like it's too easy. You know what I mean? Like, I want clicks. Let's go Tom Brady. Let's do that. Exactly. Exactly. You couldn't use Taylor Swift. No one will believe she'll play quarterback, so they go with Tom Brady. Hey, as a former player, what do you think of all this Taylor Swift-Kelsey stuff? I'm happy for them. Uh, outside of that, <laughs> there's really no place for it in football. So I'm happy that uh, you know they have their relationship. It's good. Uh, it was exciting for maybe a week. 
Uh, now, I think everyone is happy that she's about to start her European tour and won't be in the States. <laughs> uh, I'm 60 years old. My daughter's 25. So I had to go like, look, I remember Taylor Swift and that's great. But when the hell did this blow up to this level? When did she become Michael freaking Jackson or the Beatles? When, when did all this stuff happen? I, I, whatever. I, I loved your answer about it. I'm happy for them. Good for the good for the young couple. Yes. <laughs> hey, Jonathan, I want to get into a couple things. You played in the league, and I talked about this earlier. I'm neither a Dallas Cowboy fan nor a hater. I, I like Dak Prescott because Dan Mullen, his college coach, told me that Dak Prescott is one of the all-time great guys, all-time greatest guys. So I've always rooted for Dak Prescott because of that. I got to ask you, you know, in my day, yes, the Dallas Cowboys four o'clock game with the cheerleaders and all that. Yes, they're America's team. But why do we continue to every single thing the Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy do? Why are they still so freaking big to the national media? Two words, Jerry Jones. Ooh. Really? When you think he about makes- when you think about the Cowboys, you automatically think about Jerry Jones and you think about the intelligence slash genius of him to market the Cowboys as America's team. So the, the genius behind it is when they had success, as soon as they started having success, he instantly labeled them America's team. So now you have a whole generation, two generations, when you think about it, that grew up with a successful Cowboys team in and out of the playoffs, Super Bowl, et cetera. And then as soon as you hear Cowboys, you hear America's team. And so that's just resonated for two generations. They still carries on now. And you have a very, very loyal fan base because of what Jerry Jones did 30 years ago. Uh, So that's really what's carrying them now. What everyone wants to know about them is because the only thing better than a great story is the fall of a great story. Right. And everyone wants to see them go up, 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 and then have this, you know, horrific collapse in the playoffs. Right. That's what everyone's waiting for. So they build them up, build them up, build them up. America's team, Dak Prescott, really good quarterback, but they can't wait for the moment that they collapse in the playoffs. And then they go, bro, here we are again and start it all over, right? They they say, great, that was 2023. Now let's uh, wipe the table, reset, start it all over for 2024 and do it all over again. You know, there, there are two things to your point. There, are, I grew up outside Chicago, so I've followed and loved the Bears my whole life. And, and I also know that the Bears' best quarterback is Sid Luckman, like in 1940. And it just continues. Well, the Cowboys, it doesn't matter if it's Prescott. You can go back to Romo. The quarterback, you know, I feel like you're right. I'm good. I'm waiting for the quarterback to drop the snap on an extra point or a field goal or to throw a crucial interception. It feels like you're 1,000% right. That's what we're all waiting for out of the Cowboys in the playoffs. That's what they do. And that's why, unfortunately, it has come to fruition in the playoffs. They haven't performed. But it's really all of the buildup. And that's I go back to Jerry Jones. He makes sure that there is media hype at least one time a day. ESPN is talking about the Cowboys at least one time a day until you lead up into the season or to the game. And then even in the offseason, at least one time a week, two times a week, 
you're going to hear about the Cowboys in the offseason. They're making noise. And so every time you kind of have it planted in your head, uh, the Cowboys, the Cowboys. And if you're a big Cowboys fan, you're hoping and praying that this is the year. This is our year. We're going to finally get over the hump. If you're not a Cowboys fan, you're doing exactly what you said, Dan. You're just waiting and saying, all right, when are they going to collapse? When are they going to fail so we can finally end this chapter of the story? Hey, uh, Jonathan, you know, would you have liked to have played for him? What, what, what do you think that would have been like, given the fact that here's the GM, also the owner, also hosts a radio show every week? Yeah, I, so short answer, yes. I would have wanted to play for him. I would have loved to have picked his brain, uh, still do, to be honest, about his perspective when he's about, forget evaluating talent as far as who's a good player, not a good player, but does he take the approach of, is he a good player and how much can I make off the field with this player? How marketable is this player? And I would love to know the you know specific positions that he kind of looks at, right? Because Tony Romo was not a big name guy at all. And then all of a sudden he bursts onto the scene and, you know, they, he obviously played very well. Would love to know what was Jerry Jones' stop process when he said, you know what, he's our guy. So is it, he's our guy and we're going to be able to market him and we can ride this way for the next 10 years. If he wasn't a marketable guy, if Tony Romo didn't like being in the limelight or in the media or anything like that, would he have still been that guy for Jerry Jones? You know, I look at the wide receivers at the same light, uh, the running back position. So uh, I would love to pick his brain from the ultimate decision maker for America's team, how he views his talent, his players, his roster. Who's the best team in the NFL right now? Philadelphia Eagles are the best team in the NFL right now. Uh, Philadelphia has been tested, still came out on top. They lost one game, rebounded from there. Um, looking at the 49ers who lost a game, have not come back from that, lost now two in a row or <clears throat> I think five and three. They're actually now second in their division. Uh, Kansas City wow. just lost to the Broncos, and frankly it looked like Kansas City was was due for a loss the way that they were playing as of late. Uh, so you look at the consistency from the Philadelphia Eagles. It's never going to be a, a walk in the park on any given Sunday. But the fact that they always find a way to win, come back and win, hold the lead, whatever they need to do, they get it done. That's the best team in the NFL right now. Jordan Love, you had him yesterday. Uh, is he going to be the answer? Five, will he be there five years from now, and will they be successful? Is he the next in line there, or is this way, 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 way premature? I wouldn't say way, way, way premature, but it is a little premature in the sense that you, you have oh, basically eight games or seven games, I believe, of film on Jordan Love, you have some games prior, but really him as a starter week in, week out. And now you start to really be able to see his mannerisms, his tendencies, his strengths and his weaknesses. Uh, his most glaring weakness right now is touch on the football for deep passes. And in Matt LaFleur's game, you go back to Aaron Rodgers, even before Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, for all of the uh, showmanship that they had, sidearm throws, scramble out, flick it down the field, uh, you know, checking in and out of plays, 
the one thing that always made Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, and Matt LaFleur's offense great is that there was touch on those deep balls. And Matt LaFleur does a tremendous job setting up the defense to get a one-on-one opportunity down the field at least two times a quarter. And if you have that, you connect on 50% of those. Now you're talking about 14, 21 points in a quarter or in a half, and that's just not happening right now because his touch on the deep ball isn't there. So if he works on that, if it gets better, uh, maybe it's just a relationship with his young wide receivers that isn't there yet. Maybe they're not running the right route. I don't know which one, but that has to get corrected. If it does, he'll be there for the next 10 years. Hey, um, I got to ask you, I, I live in Indy, the radio show here for a thousand years. Halftime, Peyton or whomever calls for an onside kick in the Super Bowl. What was your all's reaction? Was there a reaction? We had, <laughs> it's not the re- reaction you expected, uh, we we go into halftime. Defense is on one side, offense is on the other. Uh, the whole season, Sean would just stay with the offense. Greg Williams would handle the defense. This was the first time ever Sean comes over and he says, hey, defense, get ready. We're going to kick an onside. And then just walks right back out. We all look at each <laughs> other and we're like, oh, well, all right, good. Glad you're Glad you're using it. And we said, glad you're using it because he practiced it for two weeks, right? Two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. So the whole time we would see it on special teams, we're practicing this onside kick. And I'll never forget myself, Will Smith, rest in peace. Every time we saw it happen in practice, we look at each other and we're like, man, he better run that in the game, wasting all this time in practice with this onside kick. He better (laughs) run it. So when it happened in the game, he comes and tells, we're like, great. Love it. Glad that you're finally using it. So uh, we we were not worried at all. It, it happened. Uh, we actually didn't think we got the ball. So we were ready to go on the field. We didn't care. We we're like, you know what? This this is the Super Bowl. You go and win. So once we uh, we heard we got the ball, we're like, great, good job, Sean. That's the way to uh, not not uh, empty your care, empty your gun range. There, it was good. You surprised that the Broncos are getting better and better and better? Uh, and were you surprised that Peyton came out so strong against Nathaniel Hackett? Surprised that Peyton came out very strongly against uh, Nathaniel Hackett. And I, I would say, I don't know if it was uh, very strongly. I think he was just very candid. And usually you don't hear coaches that candid. Um uh, <clears throat> the surprise for the Broncos getting better, not at all. Not surprised at all. Uh, Sean, he has a culture. We we talk about his offensive genius, but really what made him so good was his culture. And the culture was to <clears throat> really understand what it means to day in, day out, grind and work on the process and getting better. And that's all he ever talked about with us. The focus was always the play in practice, that period in practice. If you had a great play, then you had a great period. Now you put a great practice together. Now it's a great week of practice, and now it carries over to Sunday. And he's old school. Andy Reid's old school. All of these old school coaches, they don't shy away from grinding it out, hard work, because they know it's going to pay off in the end. And you have a team that's now starting to believe, and they're battle-tested, and they're starting to really win some big games. 
Hey, speaking of culture, 2012, you had that bounty gate thing. I am a big believer. I think I've been involved in 10 national stories, and the national media has never even got it close to right as it pertains to me. Your thoughts, was that overblown, much ado about nothing? What, what, what was your take as you were in the middle of it? Uh, it was definitely much ado about nothing. And you go back to it, the first things that didn't really add up or make sense was the timing of it. The timing of it was such where the NFL was faced with a lawsuit from former players uh, about concussions. And so from a PR perspective, you say, what better way than what better way to show that it's not our fault. It's not the owner's fault. It's not the NFL's fault. It's the player's fault. They, they go out and they put bounties on each other and try to hit each other and hurt each other. Uh, the other that other thing that didn't make sense was when you look at our penalties during that period. If if we're a dirty team, then you're going to have penalties that should represent how dirty of a team we are or dirty of a defense we are. There were games that were highlighted as far as uh, bounty culture and us going after them, and we didn't have any penalties defensively. So it, it, what are we doing if not just a terribly poor job of executing our bounty system if we don't have any penalties because obviously we're going to go after and do what we need to do and and it may be a late hit a legal hit uh what have you and you know none of that was really coming to fruition so it just didn't really add up uh but when you have the the narrative from the nfl they're controlling the media it is what it is so uh fortunately at the end it all came to light it was much ado about nothing and we move on yeah, I mean, as soon as I read that, I'm like, that's just stupid. I, you know, sometimes I, it, it just gives me a headache because, and this is the thing, and you guys that played know this better than anybody. There's NFL shows on a bunch of different networks every single day, 365 days a year. And now that you're in the media, I'm sure you understand, you got to have content for all those shows. You just do. You got to come up with something every day. So, every day. Hey, every day. Hey, let me... Before I, before I let you go, uh, a, a couple of things. I, I've always wondered about this. The NFL is so big. New Orleans is such a – it can be such a crazy place. How difficult or easy is playing football in the Big Easy in, in New Orleans? New Orleans is one of the loudest stadiums in the NFL when the Saints are rocking. And I'm telling you that, not being biased, uh, played in other stadiums. I could not hear my own voice in the NFC championship game against the Vikings. I had to go to the sideline and tell my defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, my linebacker coach, Joe Vitt, we need to immediately come up with hand signals right now because one, I can't hear my own voice Two, I'm burnt out. I was tired just from yelling. So I get back to the sideline, <laughs> Joe Vitt's looking at me and he's saying, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm not okay. He's like, what's wrong? I said, I am so tired because I'm screaming at these calls. No one can hear me. I can't hear myself. I can barely get the calls in. And we need to find a different way. Like I cannot keep up this pace. So we literally had to go and make emergency signals, gather the defense because it was so loud in the Superdome for that game. That's how loud it got. Um, and I, I know everyone say, oh, you're a little biased. You can ask a Ben Roethlisberger. You can ask a, a Brett Favre. Uh, they have come out and said that those games, when we played them there, they were loud. They were rocking. It was as loud as it got. 
Last thing, best quarterback in the NFL right now. Oh, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, it's yeah. not even close. Uh, uh, I shouldn't say not even close, but he's definitely the, the number one. I would say uh, Tua, with his anticipation, Kirk Cousins was playing really, really good football. You know, then you have uh, a couple underneath that. Jalen Jalen Hurts, I'm obviously forgetting, but Patrick Mahomes, he's still the best quarterback in the league. Hey, speaking of Minnesota, uh, Cousins' injury, does that end it for them this year? It depends who they get, uh, if they're going to go out and get somebody. And it also depends on the offensive line, who has done a really good job in the passing game, protecting Kirk Cousins. Can they now run the football? Uh, that was kind of the biggest knock on them, pass yards through the roof, rushing, uh, if not last, second or third to last, and rushing. So you can make the argument they didn't have to rush. That's why they were third in uh, third worst in the NFL. Now they will have to rush the football. Can they get it done with the offensive line? If they can, they still have a chance. Hey, man, great stuff, Jonathan. Hope you'll come back, man. That's fun. Thank you. I uh, definitely will, Dan. Have a great one. You too. That's Jonathan Vilma, three-time Pro Bowler and Super Bowl champ against the Colts, man. If you don't remember the play we were talking about, you know, all of us in Indy, we think we're getting the ball back to start the second half, or the Colts are getting the ball back. Peyton Manning going to get it back, and Sean Payton, he dials it up. He dials an onside kick to us in Indy. It looks like at least what we say after the fact. It was 2012, so it's 11, 12 years now. We act like it was one of those deals where, you know, it hit Hank Baskin right in the hands. Well, I don't know if it did hit him in the hands, but he had it in his hands, and then he lost it. He lost it. Son of a biscuit maker. All right, new feature alert. New feature alert, ladies and gentlemen. Hang on. Here we go. We have got voicemails and emails. We're going to start with emails. You can email me, outkickdockage. That's outkickdockage at gmail.com. You see it right there, outkickdockage at gmail.com. And you and I, we know the deal. We know you guys are going to try to crush my soul, but these are fascinating. Hey, I appreciate, uh, who is this? Tracy in Katy, Texas. Hey, Dan, listen to this one. I was coming home from a Halloween party Saturday night. My dad called the cops on me because he thought I was a hooker. I was outside my own home. That's Tracy from Katy, Texas. I'm not buying this. I think this was Dylan or Ryan or somebody. Uh, if she was dressed like a hooker and she was outside her home, the dad had two options. One of the options would be to solicit the hooker. Imagine if a father decided to solicit the hooker and it turned out to be his daughter. That would have been worse. Second one, hey, call the cops on the hooker. Hey, I'm all in. Thank you for that. Keep the email. What else we got here? Hold on a second here. I, my uh, printer cut it off in half. Give me one, baby. Give me another one here. What's the next one? <laughs> my youngest son, this is Jeremy from Staten Island. My youngest son, who's seven, chugged a Pepsi as a challenge to himself. My middle child, my 10-year-old daughter, was unfortunately sitting, oh, my God, sitting next to my son on the couch. After a few fleeting seconds of confusion, my son turns to his left, throws up in my poor daughter's lap. Might have been a blessing. 
I've been looking for a reason to get rid of that damn old couch. What? Why are people sending us these emails about chugging? Why are people sending me these emails? I love them. Keep them coming. It is Dockich at, at what now? Huh? 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 Hold on a second. Dockich, where's my things here? Dockich at, uh, outkick Dockich at gmail.com. Here's the next one. This is from Billy in Clearwater. Billy in Clearwater has this to say. I found myself wandering around a dilapidated house trying to find a house for a Halloween party. An elderly gentleman who lived there came out and started chatting me up. He told me he was about to build an underground prison on this property, but instead of iron bars, there would be lasers. I'd like to see those sons of bitches get out now. I was entertained enough to ask who he was going to have build it from him. Who, I asked. Donald Duck. He responded, get you guys are making somebody in my ear. Are these real emails? I feel like they're fake. I feel like they're fake. Like the New York Knicks is what I've been told. I don't know, but I kind of like them. All right, here we go with the voicemail. Now I know these are right because it says, please bleep out curse words. Remember, hey, can you show the phone number if you want to leave us a message? Can you show the phone number? Uh, maybe we don't have it here. I'm going to look for it. But anyway, anyway, uh, let's go to voicemail number one. Hey, Dan, this is Dave from New Orleans. Yesterday was Coach Knight's birthday. Did you ever give him anything for his birthday? Or did he even celebrate his birthday? He seems like the kind of guy that wouldn't care. Just curious to know. Take it easy. Uh, The exact opposite. Bob Knight cared so much about his birthday and wanted to be the center of attention that this actually happened every single year. And I'll never forget, I don't remember a whole lot, but I remember my freshman year at Indiana. Practice is over, and usually you came out and did extra work. But on this particular day, we went into the locker room, and everybody, uh, the older guy said, hang on, hang on, hang on. Well, we go, everybody back on the court. We go back on the court, and there's Bob Knight. I think I talked about this the other day, and he's shuffling his papers, acting at the scores table like he's really busy. All right? Yeah, he's really busy. What he was doing was waiting for over there at the entrance, Tim Garl or whoever the trainer was my freshman year, may not have been Garl, I think it was Garl, wheeling out a cake. We would wheel out a cake right in front, and he would act all surprised. And the freshman had to sing happy birthday to him, and he would act all surprised, like, oh, my God. I walked in, I looked at Randy Whitman and Ted Kitchell, two of all our Americans, I go, that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. What is that? And then we did it again and again and again for 16 years that I was there with him. We did it every year, and every year he would be, like, writing notes, acting like he didn't know it was coming. It was ridiculous. It was idiotic. It was self-serving. It was egotistical, but it was funny as hell watching him do that. And we all used to laugh at him when we went back in the locker room. Like, what did he say? What, are we 10? One year, though, one year the assistant coach, I think it was 1986, 
got him a belly dancer, which could you imagine a belly dancer in? Oh, my God. People brought a belly dancer into the coach's locker room at Assembly Hall. Fire everybody. Oh, my God. Fire everybody. We must fire you. Shut up. So that's it. Number two. Let's go to number two. Don't do number two. Go to number two. Dan, long-time listener, first-time caller. Greg Doyle is a little I can't argue with that. Uh, I can't. I would say a little adulterous bitch. Anyway, yeah, see, here's the deal. Uh, what people do in the business here in Indy is they love to criticize me because it gets clicks. That's what Doyle did. Now, yesterday, Doyle, <laughs> Doyle is, well, he's stealing my stuff, which is what he does all the time. In Indianapolis, when Doyle writes an idiotic article like he did about Pat McAfee, then he goes overboard to talk positively about the Pacers or women's basketball because he knows he was stupid and everybody makes fun of him. But what you do with me here in Indy is you criticize me. It's good business. You criticize me. If you're an Indiana blogger, you get clicks, and then then you read what I have to say about the situation, then you incorporate. It's just rinse and repeat. Gritty sees it. It's just what we do here. It's how we go about it. It's what we do. And I got to tell you, I don't like it. And those voices sounded eerily familiar, by the way. Hey, give me the phone number, somebody, will you please, so that we get real people calling. See, come on, people. I need your emails. Come on, people. I need your voicemails. I think Aaron sent it to me, but I can't find it. I wish I could find it. Uh, And Greg Doyle is a little adulterous bitch. That's what he is. He's a coward. Anytime uh, you prey on young women that are married with children, Uh, you are a coward. Uh, 929-687-3941. That's 929-687-3941. That, we'll call it our rant line. You can go on a nice rant. Go on a nice rant. Have yourself a nice day. Hey, when we come back, I'm looking forward to talking I did. I am. I'm looking forward to talking to Aaron Murray. Aaron Murray is the man on TV. Aaron Murray is the man. He be the man, Aaron Murray. You hear him on Sirius XM Radio. He's a former Georgia quarterback. We're going to talk about Georgia. We're going to talk about a bunch of different things. Is Ryan Day's job in jeopardy if he goes 0-3? Huh. Interesting. We'll be right back. Aaron Murray, stud, next. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. You see him, you know him, you love him. Aaron Murray, former quarterback, a Georgia, now media superstar with ESPN, NNNNN, and of course, Sirius XM Radio, nice enough to join us. I and you are president of the Players Lounge, which is a nice place to go hang out, have a cigar, and talk some football. All right, I'm going to get right into it right now. Michigan sign stealing. Now, look, uh, I'm way old. I remember the day, I think it was 93, when Coach Knight came and said, look, no more in-person scouting. I acted like I was pissed, but I was so happy because I didn't have to drive all over Hell's Half Acre. Uh, There was a huge difference, though, between scouting off of videotape, scouting off 
uh, of in-game looking down at the other bench to using surveillance. What say you about this Michigan deal? Well, they, they took it too far. Like, listen, I, I, I remember my – this is my sophomore year. Zach Menenberger and I both came in together at Georgia, and we were going to be dueling out to see who's going to be the quarterback uh, our, our redshirt freshman year. I got the job. Zach transferred. He ends up at LSU. Heading into that SEC championship game, I believe it was 2011, you know, we were kind of freaking out. Like, man, Zach knows our signals. And we changed a couple, but, like, what did we do? Well, we put two, three guys – you know, doing the signals, one guy wears a different color vest. Like, we've all seen it, like ways to protect yourself offensively and defensively from another team getting it. It happens during the game. Hell, like I'm trying to, as a quarterback, listen to the defense and see their signals when I'm watching tape, when I'm watching the the TV copy of, hey, when they put their hands in the air, that means cover two. When a, a DB does this, that means they're going to switch off on a stack formation. Like, all that is is fair game. It's just, it's wide open. It's there going into another opposing team stadium and using a phone to record a bench to get the signals is a little bit too far for me. So that's it. Everyone, like I said, everyone steals signs. It's part of the game. The fact that they did that is, uh, I don't think, I don't think you can say there's other teams out there doing it to that level. Yeah. You know, I called my friend urban Meyer. I'm like, urban. Is this common? Like, it's genius unless you get caught. I never thought to do it as a head basketball coach in college. But, damn, it is a hell of an advantage. People can say it's not an advantage. You're out of your mind. If I know what's coming, sure, I got to stop it. But at least I got a bit of it. you know, I know what's coming here. I mean, what are we talking about? Well, that's a crazy thing to me. Like, there was the the clip last week that was circulating of, of, you know, Michigan versus Ohio State and, and Michigan bench looking towards the sideline. Everyone's pointing up, up, up. And and I posted, and all these fans, Michigan fans, like, well, it, it was a touchdown, so you don't know football because they scored anyways. I'm like, yeah, I get it. Doesn't mean just because you know it, doesn't mean the team's not going to execute. But it does, like you allude to, it gives you an advantage. If I know it's going to be a pass or a certain concept or a certain blitz or a certain coverage, like if I know it's covered two and I have a certain route concept, like yeah, advantage me. But I still got to make the throw. My receiver still got to make the catch. My offense lineman still has to block the defensive tackle. There's still a lot that goes into it. You just set yourself up for more success if you do know what's going on. That was the message to that clip, even though Ohio State did score. Yeah, a thousand percent. It's a long haul. I mean, anything could happen. Like I always used to tell my players, look, you can make a basket throwing a ball behind your back. But that doesn't matter. You're not shooting that with two seconds on a shot clock for crying out. It's the long haul deal about it that fascinates me that people really don't understand. They say, well, I saw the same thing that you saw. In fact, I saw Brady Quinn. Well, they scored. I'm like, you know. Anyway, what do you think ultimately, ultimately down the road? You know, if all the reports are true, Michigan's rescinded a contract offer. FBI's in there on another case with an offensive coordinator that they fired. Shemmy Schembechler, racist tweets, and now you got this off of a three-game suspension. What do you think ultimately happens? If we're talking about Harbaugh in the February 1st, what do you think has happened? He's back to the NFL. I just think like, and honestly, if I'm a coach and I have the opportunity to move on from college football, I am. Being a coach in college football right now is an absolute nightmare. One, you got to deal with the NCAA, which is as was just no one likes them. They're hated. They're awful. They just don't do their job extremely well. That's one. Two, you have to deal with all the the NIL, the recruiting, the kissing the butts of these 18 to 20 year old kids. I just uh, the the boosters that want to have control. There's just too much 
going on in college football when it comes to coaches, you know, perspective where if I did have the opportunity to move on to the NFL, which he had success at that level, if he gets that chance, I'm getting the hell out. And 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 kind of how I view Michigan this year, and it's gonna be interesting to see, you know, if there is a drawback after you know them maybe not trying to steal as many signs going forward, if they are as good as what I think they are. But right now, when you do watch them through the first part of the season, to me, they're the best team in America. So they're going to beat Penn State. They're going to beat Ohio State. I don't think either of those two teams are elite enough to match up with the Wolverines. If they're in the playoffs and they actually get it done this year and win a national championship, if I'm Harbaugh, I came, I conquered, I won. Uh, I do have an NFL in my, in, my, in, my, in my bones, in my DNA. I'm getting the hell out. So I think there's a really good chance after all the craziness that has gone on this past year for Jim and, and, and that football team that you will have him maybe a little bit more aggressively looking at an opportunity to move on to the NFL. And, you know, I think I saw this yesterday, uh, Michigan rescinded their, their, their you know, current contract to Jim uh, as they kind of try to figure out what's going on with, with the investigations. You know, let me talk about Ohio state. I'm going to go quick. I'm going to go with a quick, a number of uh, college football things. You think Ryan day's job is at all in jeopardy? Should he follow or should he fall to Michigan? No, I think people are just going to be pissed off. I mean, it's just what it is what it is. I mean, that's such a major game. So if you lose it for a third straight year, um, it ain't going to be good for him. But what are you going to do? Get rid of a coach that is is one almost every like I think at three or four losses in his career. Like, no, you'd be silly to get rid of Ryan Day. And he's doing what he needs to do right now to put this team in a situation where they can be more competitive in a game versus Michigan, in a game versus Georgia or Texas and whoever they may face if they do end up getting into the playoffs when it's all said and done. So will they be upset? Yes. Are they going to get rid of them? No, no chance. And especially if Jim Harbaugh moves on and Ohio State continues down this path, like there's a good chance that you will be the uh, the big boys in the Big Ten come next season once again and, and fighting for a chance to win that conference. Uh, Clemson seven and seven in last fourteen. I think I read that right. Are they mm. in danger of you know? It used to be Ohio State, Alabama, Cle- Georgia. Now is Clemson in danger of getting to irrelevancy here? You're getting pretty dang close. Uh, and I said this all offseason. I had Clemson fans up in my DMs nonstop, just mad at me, saying I don't know football. I'm an idiot. Yada yada yada. Uh, it's been pretty <laughs> quiet for the season, which is nice. I don't have to deal with those fans for, for, for quite some time. And I warned them, you know, that they blamed that it was DJU it was DJU, you know, DJU is the one costing us. And, you know, I'm like, no, 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 it ain't DJU. There's a lot of problems on that football team. There's a lot of problems on that offense. They don't have elite playmakers, you know, besides Will Shipley at running back. They don't have the guys at receiver that they've had previously. You know, they don't have a quarterback as well. So, and they don't have a great offensive line. So you throw that all into it. It wasn't DJU's fault. Um, did he help? Maybe not, but like he wasn't the main problem. You fast forward to this season, you don't go out there and get support the receiving position. You don't use a transfer portal. Your 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 competitors did, and we see what Florida State looks like right now. So, you know, I'm not going to say that Clemson is is going to go to be irrelevant. They're still in a pretty weak conference in the ACC. You know, they still have elite talent. They got great facilities. You know, Dabble just needs to evolve. If Dabo will just humble himself and say, hey, what I'm doing isn't working, I got to go and and, and, and and use the portal and do other things to bolster my football team, then they'll, they'll still be one of the better teams in, in the ACC next year. But if things do change and say Clemson and Florida State and they find a way to get out of their contract, the grant of rights, and say they move to the SEC, 
I think they would be a tier two team in the SEC if they did happen to to make that move in the next year or two. Speaking of speaking of SEC, you know, Texas coming in. What are your thoughts? They're ready. I will say this. Like, I think they're ready. And and I think right now when you look at the Big 12 and you know, obviously they, they got a big game up coming up this weekend. And, you know, I, I didn't necessarily fall in love with their quarterback Malik Murphy last week. And it, it's definitely gonna hurt them not having Quinn Ewers out there for who knows how long, maybe another week or two. But the defense has played well for the majority of the season. They've had a couple letdowns here or there, but that's still a good defense. It's a physical front seven. You know, they got elite playmakers on the outside. You know, Steve Sarkeesian's gonna be able to recruit quarterbacks. He's going to be able to recruit receivers. And if you can build that mentality of, of having a defensive mindset too to go along with those playmakers, this team is more than ready to, to compete in the SEC. You know, if you put Texas in that league this year, they'd be a top three football team. So I, I think he's done it the right way. Obviously, he's learned how to build a successful national championship team from, from Nick Saban. He's gone there and done that in three years at Texas. And now he's got to find a way to finish it. You know, if you can find a way to win the Big 12 – be a playoff team this year, which I think if they went out, they would be one of the four teams. You would gain so much more momentum in recruiting and and hitting the portal and bringing guys in that they are more than well equipped to to make that jump heading into next season in the in the SEC. Is the most improved team in college football from start to finish LSU? Give me one of my favorites, man. I I I think LSU is going to win the SEC West. Obviously, it goes through kind of Tuscaloosa wow. this weekend, and that's going to be a hell of a battle. But you know, it it, it kind of goes to what all what what college football is today. And if you have that elite of an offense, you're going to be able to win the majority of your football games. And they still got great playmakers on defense. And and you know, they've made some changes. They brought in a, you know an assisted defense line coach. They've gone to more of an even front. So I think that defense is playing just a little bit better right now. Still some some concerns on the secondary. But, man, when you got Jaden Daniels and his ability to run the football and throw it, Logan Diggs has been an incredible addition at the running back position to take some pressure off Jaden of having to always, you know, be the guy that has to do both. And said now he can run when he when he when he needs to, not hey, you need to go out there and run the ball 15, 20 times for this offense to be more balanced. No, you got Diggs doing that. You got elite playmakers at the receiving position. You got a good tight end. And I and as of right now, I would say LSU has the best offensive line in the SEC. So that offense will score. They'll score against anyone. I think they'll even score against the great Alabama defense this weekend in Tuscaloosa. It's just gonna be a matter of can you can you limit the explosives? Uh and can Harold Perkins get after the quarterback, which I think we all know he can. So I, I think this team wins out. I think they're in the SEC championship game versus Georgia. And with that offense, man, you definitely give them a chance to to win that game. Unfortunately for them, with a ten and two team that you know beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa, that beat Georgia in the SEC championship, would that get them into the the, the playoffs with two losses? Uh, I don't know. I think a lot has to happen in their favor for that to happen. But um, you know, I, like I said, I do think they have a chance to win out. Georgia, your school is Beck good enough to lead him to a national championship, or does he have to lead him? No, he does. I think he does have to lead him this year. And you saw Stets in the past two seasons, too. I mean, he's, you know, four-time MVP, the first round of the playoffs, and then the national championship. And that was with elite defenses. And Georgia's defense is really good. Don't get me wrong. Like, it may not be the same caliber of defense they've had the past two years. It's built a little bit differently. Uh, they're, they're more elite on the back end. I love their safeties. I love their secondary. Tyke Smith at nickel. Like, they're really good 
back there. Front seven is 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 solid, and and you saw some strides this past weekend versus Florida. But yeah, Beck is gonna have to play elite football for this team to go out there and win a national championship. And I think he's more than capable of doing it. Carson Beck is a first round talent. Hell, if he wins a national championship this year, he'll be a top three quarterback taken in the NFL draft come next this 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 upcoming NFL draft. He's that good. 6'4, 230, big arm. He's accurate. He takes care of it. Good decision maker, can make all the throws you want. And he's a lot more athletic than what most people thought he was and was going to be heading into the season. So you got the playmakers. Lad McConkey's back healthy. Rara Thomas, Dominic Lovett. Uh, you got a great offensive line. You're running the ball effectively right now. Uh, and, 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 and with their two running backs, and you're doing it without Brock Bauer. So you throw Brock into the equation end of the season SEC championship game, they are more than equipped, and he's more than equipped to go out there and put the team on his back like he did for Auburn, like he did for South Carolina, and and kind of what this offense looked like for Florida to go out there and win a national championship. Hey, Aaron, it's coming out this week, you know, the first polls, all that kind of stuff. Who are your top four? Ooh, my top four. Uh, my my the four teams I think are the best four teams in America. I don't know if they're going to put them on there uh, th- this week. Or is, is Michigan one? I just think Michigan is elite on both sides of the football. I think JJ McCarthy has taken some some massive strides in the right direction, and and he looks like a a guy that now is the best quarterback in that conference. He's dual threat, can make all the throws. So I would put I would put Michigan one. I'd put Georgia two. I think Oregon is the third best team in college football right now. Uh, I know they lost head to head to Washington in Washington. I still think you know you you rematch those guys in the Pac-12 championship. Oregon's going to win that game. They are playing elite on both sides, and you got an experienced quarterback in Bo Nick. So I believe Oregon's the third best team in America. I doubt they'll end up being you know in that number three spot. And then I put Florida State at number four. Hey, uh, Players Lounge, tell folks about it where they can find it. Let me know. Yeah, so go to theplayerslounge.io or you catch our content on YouTube. Uh, what we're doing is trying to put the 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 microphone in you know in the players' hands. You know, allow those guys to create authentic conversation, and we see it a lot in in the pros. You know, think of the Kel- the Kelsey brothers and what they do. You know, at the Players Lounge, we're partnered at the University of Georgia, University of Tennessee. Uh, we essentially are giving these these student athletes a platform to tell their story, to create their own content, to talk about ball in an authentic way where it's just, you know, player on player. So right now we have six current shows at the University of Georgia, uh, four football shows that are led by the student athletes at the University of Georgia, uh, a baseball show and a softball show. At the end of Tennessee, we have a couple football shows, a Lady Vols basketball show uh, and a baseball show as well. So uh, it's great for these kids. Uh, They get to go out there and make money by, by creating the content. And essentially we put it up all on our platform. So really good stuff, really good stories. So once again, go to theplayerslounge.io. Uh, you can catch us on all the social medias at the Players Lounge as well. See, quarterbacks are smart. They own stuff. Guys like me, we work for quarterbacks own. That's smart, Aaron. Hey, man, hope you'll come back. That was great stuff. Thank you. I appreciate it. Anytime, man, just let me know. All right, that's that's Aaron Murray. Go to the Players Lounge. Yeah, man, see, quarterbacks are smart. You know, a guy like me, I'm digging ditches all the time. I'm door dashing to pay off gambling debts. Oh, by the way, speaking of gambling debts, 15 and 1 yesterday. 15 and 1. I'll show it to you if you want. 
The only one I missed was a parlay that I put together, and it involved the Colts. I hit three legs. And also, by the way, did I tell you, the house bet, 7-1, and one, Nebraska, just absolutely belly-whomped Purdue. That two-point line was crap. Hey, look, all I know is this. I went from, and I'm being honest here, 100 bucks to over six grand now in my account. All I can tell you. Seriously, that's all I can tell you. Over six grand. I'll tell you what I'm doing. My wife wants to change. We're going to be the only family in America that doesn't have a big dining room table. We got one, and if you're looking to buy one, we got one. It's unbelievably gorgeous, but we're, we're getting rid of it, and we're putting a seating area, like a lounge, if you will, with nice back chairs, a round table, sit around, as opposed to having a dining room table. If anybody's looking for a massive dining room table, now it'll cost you 800 bucks or so. It's probably worth five grand. I don't know. But anyway, long story short, uh, I am paying. I am paying with for this with my gambling proceeds. The house bet moved to seven and one, ladies and gentlemen. Look, Ever since about the middle of the basketball season last year that I decided to make this a freaking job, I've decided to make gambling a job, and I've got multiple accounts. My points bet accounts, I did, I started with 100 bucks, and now it is over six grand. My DraftKings account that I started, I was losing money every year. I looked at what I was losing. I changed it up. Now I'm up three grand on the year. Three grand on that one. I don't really use it. I'm in the points bet now because they are our sponsors and I love them. But hey, look, and I'm going to give you, hopefully this week uh, at some point, I'm going to have the guy who I am winning money with. He's a friend of mine. His name is Phil Sack. And Phil fades all of these clowns that you see on TV or on YouTube or on, uh, what is it, TikTok. All these guys, this is the lock of the century. Blah. He researches and he fades. And I want him to tell you his strategy because this strategy is incredible. I don't do nothing. I just say, Phil, man. So I am sending my boy Phil some Omaha steaks as a thank you because I, hey, it's just fun. It starts at around 12, well, uh, 1250. He finally sends me his picks because he's studying. I put his picks in. I look at him. I add some parlays, whatever. And next thing you know, 15 and 1 yesterday. Now, I don't bet enough. I only bet like 100, maybe 200. If I was betting like him, now this is a man who has made up to a million dollars a year in sports gambling. I'm going to say that again, up to a million. And I'm going to try to get him on the show coming up here this week. He said he's cool with it, but, uh, you know, we just got to work out something later. Be careful tonight. I see the line is going down. Raiders were minus nine and a half. Now it's minus seven. There's stuff going on here. Maybe the sharp money came in on the Raiders. Apparently it did. Be careful tonight as you're going. Yeah, there it is, $6,100 in an account that started with $100. Because I am, I am not. Remember, we had Billy Walters on. I read Billy Walters' book. Now I'm not smart enough to read the gambling part of his book. Okay, I'm not going to do that. It's too involved. So I skimmed it. A hundred years ago, when I sat out a year of high school, I took speed reading at Valpo University. Well, guess what? In the right here, 
I'm up, uh, let's see, 6,100, five, uh, my balance is $6,152. Means I've won or lost this month $5,980. So I started with $175. That's what I started with. Uh, yeah, 171.13 is what I started with. There you go. I can show it to you. Boom. 171 up five uh, up five thousand nine hundred and eighty dollars. That pays the mortgage, baby. Oh, big time. Anyway, I digress. Boom. A lot of reasons to watch this show. And that's just another one. Also, what I learned this weekend is pretty women like to hang out with me. That's right. They do. My wife and I, we're just sitting there. And next thing you know, Riley Gaines and her husband comes over. Stephanie comes over. Here comes uh, Kelly in Vegas. Here comes Ariel Epstein. When you get old and you're harmless, pretty women just like hanging out with you. We got to get Kelly in Vegas on. I think Ariel's involved with a bunch of different companies. But Kelly in Vegas, she gave me one. She's like, look. And she, she's got, I've watched the film, and that's why I like these young ladies. They watch the film. Slap Dick Johnny, who says, oh, it's an all-time lock. Go against him. But when Kelly in Vegas gave me, because she made it sound like, with common sense, that I was taking the Titans plus three yesterday, I loaded up. I absolutely loaded up. I wasn't messing around. Period. I wasn't messing around. She made sense. Ariel Epstein will tell you why somebody's going to win based on the game film of the previous games. That's the kind of stuff I can dig. I dig it. And I got to get Urban on this week as well. We got to talk some stuff. All right, let's go. Woke dope me. You ready? Here we go. Give me number one. Woke dope. Got a lot of shows on this. I'll kick is growing. Oh, boy. Objects in the mirror are as stupid as they appear. I had a dream about Joe Biden last night. True story, I did. I had a dream that I was interviewing him, and he was a lot more coherent than he appears on TV or in your videos or on Twitter. I don't know, but I think I need to change up my life. If I'm dreaming about Joe and Joe Biden, I got to do me some thinking. I got to go to the chin. When I go to the chin, that's some thinking. He is as stupid as he appears. Damn. Next! Always go to the chin. Oh, boy. Yeah. I'm proud to be a partner with the communist, Chinese Communist Party. That's our guy, Gavin Newsom. Uh, Gavin Newsom decided that it was all right for him to bowl over a little Chinese kid. He's in China, and he's bowling over little kids playing basketball. What's he doing in China? What's he got going in China? Is he denouncing the NBA? I don't know. I don't think so, but is he? Huh. Let me go to the chin. I guarantee you he's not. What's Gavin doing? Gavin need a little money? Gavin need a little inside stuff for a run at the president? So you got to go presidency? So you got to clear it? Look at that. And he's patting a kid on the ass. Get off the little boys, Gavin Newsom. Quit running them over. 
Actually, Gavin Newsom had pretty good handles. I wasn't mad at him. Next! Yeah. Yeah. In my lifetime, and I don't care who tells me differently, I have my own opinion on this. 350 million people in the country, we should have differing opinions. My opinion, that's the worst president of my lifetime. Now, did I understand the Cuban Missile Crisis when I was a kid? Oh, hell no. Did I understand that actually Richard Nixon was, a, by all accounts, a fairly effective president? He just was really, really stupid with the White House plumbers going into Watergate. I mean, how stupid are you, the Watergate plumbers? Excuse me. That was just stupid because Sergeant Shriver and that other guy, Mondale, couldn't beat off. They weren't beating nobody. They weren't beating nobody, but he was stupid. Anyway, Carter with the gas prices, gas line, inflation, intimidated uh, by a bunch of different countries, including hostages in Tehran. He was the worst, and we're seeing part two. I never felt like in my life we would ever go back to this guy's presidency, but I think we're there and even worse. Hopefully, it does not involve a World War III. But man, oh man, if you're paying attention at all, it sure seems like it. It sure to hell seems like that's where we're headed. Hope not. Have a wonderful afternoon, everybody. 